So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. That's just the way the world works. This was my parents, and probably yours, typical response to all the frequent questions that we had as children. That's just the way the world works. Children are quite adept at seeing injustice, unfairness, unequal treatment, favoritism, cutthroat behavior, backroom deals, power games, hypocrisy, all for what they are. But we, with the seasoning of time, as parents often dismiss these things as just part of life in this fallen creation. That's just the way the world works. You're numb and acclimated to all the ways that rebellion against God's order and word is manifest in and around you. It's just the way things are. Politicians rule in order to enrich themselves. Judges lack impartiality and give partisan favors. Corporations deceive the consumer to grab more market share. Regulators look the other way and get paid off. The tax man leverages the law, gets the ammo and the guns. The press lies, defames, and slanders you and others, but ignores those who buy their ads. It's just the way the world works. You're probably so numb to it already that you would just accept these things as how business gets done. And when it comes against you, you'll feign outrage and whine and complain, but of course, do nothing to change it. It doesn't matter if it's far away or far above you. Or maybe the inequity and injustice are quite close to you. It's in your workplace or in your community, in your congregation, or even in your own home. What can you do about it? It's just the way things are. It's how the game is played. Spiritually speaking, it's how sinful rebellion against God's word and will is revealed in your life. But what can you do about it? You're quite correct if you think that you can't do anything about it. You are weak and ineffective at managing your own sin as much as you are as managing the sin of others. But I'm not sure that we always believe that. Probably you do think that you can get it together. Maybe hold yourself and others accountable and be more disciplined for yourself and for your children. And if you do all of that, then everything will be all right. Good order, discipline, responsibility, accountability. These things will fix the way the world is. At least it might on the surface. We can, to a reasonable degree, agree to behave with outward righteousness, act with virtue and for the good, and have some semblance of, well, changing this world. But underneath, there's always remaining your corrupt heart. Not just in you, but in others, in everyone. A heart that does not fear, love, and trust in God. And as a result, your love for your neighbor is often disingenuous and hypocritical. You and others work hard to give the appearance of godliness while secretly operating, the same as the rest of sinful humanity. It takes some skill, and it's a skill that we learn to maintain this illusion we developed this from our very childhood. 
And the most successful among us, quote-unquote successful, are those who have most mastered the deceit of having outward godliness but inwardly being liars, cheats, and thieves. They are quite clever. They are manipulative, or the word we heard today was shrewd. As Jesus says today, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Of course, it figures that what many theologians have called the hardest parable would be the one that would be set before us today for me to preach to you, especially with all of our guests and other visitors. (laughs) But here it goes. The parable of the unjust steward is actually so typical a story that if it weren't in the Bible, it it wouldn't even make it into the papers. You wouldn't even be able to find this story deep with a Google search. It's actually quite dull as to be expected. A story about a rich man who entrusted his goods to a scoundrel, but then allowed that scoundrel steward to improve his position by further wasting his goods, dragging even more into the conspiracy, enriching everyone in the process? Oh, that sounds pretty normal. In the end, the rich man, the unjust steward, and all the debtors are commended for their conspiratorial scheme. You could just say the way your parents said it. That's just the way the world works. What's actually offensive about the parable is not that any of these things are surprising. It's that Jesus uses the parable to describe the kingdom of God. Now, as you know, not all parables are alike. Some teach us to go and do likewise. And in those parables, there's often an extraordinary or otherworldly example of love or of mercy or of grace. Maybe a parable like the Good Samaritan. Or the tax collector in the temple who cries out for mercy. Those are unexpected stories. But sometimes Jesus finds his illustrations in everyday life that describe people exactly the way they are. You can think of the parable where the man finds a treasure in another man's field and then simply uses deceit to get it. Or that parable of the widow who comes before the judge who neither believes in God nor loves his fellow man and answers her pleas simply because she complained too much. That sounds familiar. Today, Jesus uses a commonplace example from this sinful world. That's just the way the world is, works. He does so to illuminate something that takes place in the kingdom of God. He's not telling you to act precisely in the, in the way that the characters in our story do. But instead, wants you to grasp the parable's context and understand it within the relationship, within our relationship to God. The master, or Jesus, commends the man's shrewdness, that he had acted wisely. But where was his wisdom? And how does this help you understand the kingdom of God? The man is a scoundrel, and he knows he's been caught, he's been brought before the judgment. He knows he has no way of escape, and he's holding no more illusions. He knew he was going to go be out on his own. He saw the consequences of his mismanagement, but he recognizes he has yet time to act quickly and with resolve, at least to gain some favor. He gets himself out of the tight spot and improves his position, and even the position of that rich man. Yes, he's unjust and deceitful, and that is how the world works. 
But how does this relate to us as Christians? Christians sometimes do the opposite of this unjust man in spiritual matters. We don't take advantage of the time while it is day before the night comes that no one can work. We treat our faith in Jesus casually. Perhaps you think that you can neglect to attend divine service, neglect to read and study God's Word, and neglect to live in faith toward God and love toward one another, at least for a time. Not today, maybe next week. You also harbor the illusion that you can serve God and mammon at the same time. And thinking still that everything is going to come out just right in the end. And so, like the unjust steward, you put off and procrastinate. Put off for today what God has set before you until tomorrow. But there is a day of judgment coming, just like for that unjust steward. And your salvation before God the Father is a matter of dead seriousness. Maybe you couldn't see the consequence of your neglect to attend to Jesus' word and sacramental gifts. But he warns you today that you will stand before God the judge and there will be a final reckoning. And so, while the judgment is coming and you know that you have been unjust, Jesus commends to you the wisdom of the unjust steward. Wisdom is looking at the reality for what it is, not for what you'd like it to be. To confess your sin, that you've neglected to be a good steward of the gift of faith that God the Spirit has worked in you. To confess that you've forgotten to water and feed the implanted word. To confess that you withhold God's blessings from those whom he has given you to care for and love and the congregation is entrusted to your care. To confess and to seek mercy. The parable is also a stern warning to stop being a friend of this world, to stop holding tightly onto riches, that mammon God. Instead, to make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, which you will, they may receive you into an everlasting home. The master, the rich man, or if you prefer God, the father, he commends to you being quite wasteful with all the stuff of this world, but treasuring the things of God. You win unjust friends, have a home to dwell in, and have true life and all the treasures of heaven. Not because you are just, but precisely because that's how merciful your master is. Jesus flips the script and uses the unjust steward to show how really unjust, but merciful, the gospel of forgiveness of sins is. It's quite outrageous. It's not what we would expect. We think of God as being a taskmaster or someone who keeps records in a book, and those records must reconcile. There must be justice and equity. And then God comes along and forgives, is merciful. So the gospel is quite wise to God and right before him, but it looks quite foolish to the world. It looks like this unjust steward wasting his master's possessions to win for himself friends. But you're commanded to be like that unjust steward in faith to recklessly forgive even all those, even those who don't deserve it. In faith to recklessly care for those who don't even want it. 
in faith to love those, not just who love you, but are even unlovely. The call of the Christian is to live, to serve. And to serve recklessly and without abandon using all of the riches that the Lord has entrusted you. You know that you are only a steward of what you have, not its ultimate owner. Everything you have, even your very life, belongs to God. And that means you can risk it because it's his. You can risk your life for discomfort, persecution. You can even be ridiculed for your ridiculous faith. You can trust in God in the midst of danger. You'd even suffer martyrdom rather than be unfaithful to God. That's not the way the world works, actually. And no, it's not. Thanks be to God. For what hope, says Job, what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much if God takes away his life? Thank you, Jesus, for giving us not what we deserve, not demanding what we owe, and not imposing upon us the wages of our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for being an unjust steward, showing mercy as his Father is merciful. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us, giving us life, winning for yourself friends in heaven, and promising to us that New Testament eternal life. Thank you for your shrewdness towards us, Jesus, you who have made us your unjust stewards too. Thanks be to Jesus in his holy name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.